right, hey, what's up everyone out there in a primo land? It's time for another deep dive into unlocking the secrets of the game of marketing. This week on the pod, we focus on cheat codes for the CMO, all based on sound field research and unconventional thinking. I'm Sam Chapman, content director here at Aprimo, joined as always by our very own CMO, Ed Brial. Ed, who do we have the privilege of interviewing today? Drew Neiser. Drew is uh, someone who has been in the marketing space for quite a while with his recent publication of Renegade Marketing. And he did something really unique uh, during the pandemic. He started what's called CMO Huddles. Yeah, that's super exciting. As a former social scientist myself, I love that he's putting into practice that combo of qualitative and quantitative research and just getting out and going right to the source. So kind of what exactly makes a renegade marketer. And he unpacks everything from creative ideation to time management. Uh, And really, it's not just for how to distinguish yourself as a CMO, but as a modern marketer. Absolutely. And what he did was he's essentially, I call him the CMO aggregator. He's literally interviewed 400 to 500 CMOs, put it together in like beautifully designed frameworks for us to use. He's got an interesting Uh, One that's called CATS, Courageous Strategy, Artful Ideation, Thoughtful Execution, and Leveraging uh, Scientific Method. Well, we marketers love a good framework, don't we? We absolutely do. (laughs) Well, let's get into the art and science of what it means to be a marketer and how you can combine the two to drive a value exchange between your brand and your customers. Here we go. Hello and welcome to another episode of Marketing Cheat Codes. This is Ed Brialt, your host. Uh, really excited today. Um, this is like a, a cheat code to a cheat code. Uh, today we have Drew Neiser, and Drew is full of cheat codes, aggregated cheat codes, I would say, due to the high volume of just your experience. And then you actually have a lot of uh, experience talking with CMOs. I think you're your number's up over 450. Is that right, Drew? Yeah, it's actually over 500 now. <laughs> oh, wow. So you take those 500 just rich experiences, aggregate them, sift, sort through them, do amazing things like write a book. Yeah. Uh, Renegade marketing. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Uh, just... Uh, you know, it's amazing if you just keep interviewing people, eventually something good happens. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I want to I want to unpack that book um, as well. I've got it right here. Also, um, you have CMO Huddles, which you spawned out of um, just a, a massive need uh, during, during COVID. So I want to hear about that. Um, LinkedIn Top Voices in Marketing for 22. Uh, you have your own podcast. You're a columnist at AdAge, keynote speaker, CMO coach, and I want to talk about this really quick, wannabe time traveler. So I'll put this out there, Drew. Are you, would you, are you Bill and Ted, Doc and Marty, Matt, Matthew McConaughey and in Interstellar where his ship gets stuck in the massive black hole inside and discovers the fifth dimension? What's your method of time travel you know i think i'm more the uh uh hg wells type sort of press the date that you want to go back to uh you know there's i i'm ben franklin is a hero and i'm sort of a fanatic of his and 
that's there's so many different times in his life I would love to just go back and say, okay, can we talk about this? <laughs> yeah, but yeah, and and uh, so that would be one. But I, you know, I'm a history buff in general, and there are a lot of uh, sort of there are people that I would just sort of love to sort of have a chat with. Absolutely. Who would um, so in terms of I love that idea of who do you why would we come back to our current times? Let's say we do the whole back to the future thing and, you know, 10 years from now, why would we want to come back here? Like, what is, what is your, if you could think about sort of the trajectory of where things are going, business, society, marketing, people, you love talking about humanizing uh, brands and marketing, why that's so important. What, why would we come back to this time? What would you tell yourself today, do you think? that uh, you wish you you knew today about the future? You know, I, I think that's such a great question. And, and I think the my thoughts on, we just went through a crisis uh, at the beginning, certainly COVID as a global crisis, we're not out of it yet. But from a business perspective, uh, I have been through a number of crises and this has really formed the way I think about a lot of things. And every time I sort of approach a crisis now, it's okay. I don't know how this is going to work out for me and my agency or whatever, but I know there are probably people out there who are in worse shape. So what can I do to help? What can I do to make a difference? And I think that lesson for me, at least paid off dramatically. Uh, that's how CMO huddles came into uh, effect. And, and so I feel like the, the, you know, at the beginning of the the crises, there was a sense of, oh, well, we're about to go in a recession. So everybody, you know, lay people off and yeah. get ready for just sort of being, scary. and it was really scary. And it wasn't any of those things. I mean, fr from a business standpoint, in many ways, it was for a lot of companies, it was a huge uh, and, you know, uh, opportunity for digital transformation and so forth. And they'll change the way they work, make work better in so many different ways. So, I think the lesson is from a business standpoint, and again, it's really hard because there was so much human suffering during the pandemic, it's hard to sort of separate that. But but the uh, the lesson from a business standpoint is, uh, you know, don't panic I, and, and really yeah. sort of look around and say, okay, first, who can you help uh, and, and and go from there? Especially as leaders, right? Because you have, if you're a leader, and you panic, wow, like that sets a whole motion of panic within your, let's say you're, you're the CMO at your organization. It's very important to assess the situation, don't panic, manage the emotions, search for the facts, find the data, sift through the, um, the things that are fake, right? There's a lot of fake and hype and, and just, um, uh, sensationalizing of, uh, of aspects. Don't panic, stay calm. Remember you're a leader, like pinch yourself. You're a leader, Ed, you're a leader, Drew, you're a leader today. Don't, don't ever lose sight of that. Is that a fair statement? I think that, yeah. And the only thing I would, would add to that, and this was sort of funny, I remember this distinctly at the beginning of the, the pandemic, as I started huddles and talking to CMOs and they, uh, a, a couple of them said, Oh my God, I, I, you know, empathy is now my number one, two, and three words. And I had to laugh because I probably would have suggested that you 
thought about empathy earlier on, but suddenly you couldn't function without it as a leader. And, you know, I mean, again, that was a good thing uh, because I think a a lack of empathy is problematic for leaders, to say the least. Absolutely. And we can't lose sight of that. You know, this idea of humanizing marketing, I think it's such it's it's another one of those like must have you should be doing it anyway but just being human isn't always good right there's i i look at that we think of it like let's humanize marketing let's you know let's lead with empathy let's really understand the context of need of our buyer along their journey and help them along the way and i think we don't spend enough time thinking about that these bad human experiences that if we don't use our emotional intelligence properly can can actually create extremely terrible brand experiences or marketing experiences. So it's almost like a do this, but then also model out the don't do these things. Yeah, we don't. No. I don't think we mo- spend time modeling out the this is what bad human human marketing looks like, but we always focus on what looks good. I, it's a good point, and I you know add to it. It's just reminded. I've I've been. Uh, so one of the things I've been thinking about a lot lately is is time management because the single biggest factor for CMOs is like I don't have enough time I'm just stretched I'm crazy busy I'm you know and I'm working crazy hours and I and I just it's such a problem that I'm spending a lot of time my time thinking about how do I help CMOs with their with their time management and a lot of it is the don't part of it is is reminding yourself the strategy is saying no on all levels to a lot of things and finding making no a good friend of yours and and so and that doesn't mean there there's no you can be empathetic and say no uh but uh, anyway i don't know if that's we're sort of off topic but i feel like part of this challenge right now facing cmo so much is there's so much they could do and and what we really have to focus on just a few things that they need to do. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, as a CMO, I think about that you, you sort of have to remove yourself a little bit from the marketing department, and you're and you have to operate at a layer uh, at you know across the organization, and we have to give the CMO needs to wake up every day and think I've got these we'll call it three to five like critical decisions to make spend a lot of time in your head thinking, leveraging data, and that will give you the confidence to know know that to say no, right? To say we can't do that. Not no, not right now, doesn't align with strategy. The power of no, there's that's a it's such a strong thing for for leaders to be thinking about, especially CMOs where we can get bogged bogged down. And and I think uh, also you've talked about how like CMOs sort of proving themselves to the organization. It's a tough role it really is it, it really is and and i it, it's funny because i really feel bad uh i feel empathy for the cmo because the, there's a an immediate misalignment of expectations between say the c-suite or the pe and vc firm in that a new cmo is going to come in and create a new sort of go-to-market motion that is going to dramatically increase uh revenue and you know it's True that that's a very important part of what CMOs do, but it's only in my mind one quarter of what marketing can do beyond demand gen. Yet it's like if you ask CEOs what they want, it's like ninety percent of it is demand gen, demand gen, and right. so. And we know that 
demand gen is a combination of things. It's partnership with sales. It's product market fit. It's it's all sorts of other things. And so, you know, I I mean, my one of the biggest lessons that you know, yes, as a CMO, in your first six months, you have to have quick wins. Period. You've got to find some. And you so to to earn the credibility, to buy the time, to fix the strategy that's holding you back. And that strategy impacts employees, customers, prospects, brand. And so, you know, if you can educate the organization to think about four pillars instead of one pillar meeting demand gen, you have a chance of really making a profound difference on the company. If you're just a demand gen CMO, uh, and again, I'm not saying you 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 have to do that, but if that's it, um, you're going to hit a wall. Yeah, a- absolutely. Now, when you think about frameworks for the CMO, we were we we were in one of yours. We were one in one of the elements. And in your book, Renegade Marketing, I love the framework Cats. And um, I want to unpack Cats on the front end of this talk so that I think it creates it's going to create a really good structure for our conversation. And um, explain to me first, Renegade. <laughs> I, I love that. And when I think of Renegade, it's it's inspiring to break free from, I'll call it uh, tradition, break free from uh, misaligned expectations. It gives you freedom to go lead, lead with thoughts, with ideas lead with change why renegade so it's funny uh the name actually uh, a couple of stories behind that so uh in the 90s literally uh we were part of a small group of dents it was literally myself and three japanese right. folks and they uh we started doing guerrilla marketing at the time for Panasonic and a vendor said, oh, you're the renegades over at Dentsu. And I went, yes, <laughs> light bulb, boom. Yeah. Uh, and so, but the funniest part of it was that in Japanese, renegade, there was only one oh. word definition. It was outlaw. And so they oh. wanted us to call the agency like, you know, uh, Sagawa and Nizer. And I just said, no, 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 it's re- renegade is it. And so fortunately <laughs> they, uh, they did it. And eventually I, was, I ended up buying Dentsu out of Renegade in like 2008. But uh, it's a great place to start in that it is about unconventional thinking. And what I hope that the book delivers and what you know the agency has always uh-huh. promised is with that unconventional thinking, you can cut through. So anyway, that's the long story on Renegade. Uh, uh, do you want to go to Cats? I do. Yeah, I love Cats. Uh, so how did Cats... So go ahead and unpack the uh, the acronym for sure. us. So yeah, the, where did it come from? So after I wrote, I did about 100 interviews with CMOs. This was before my podcast. And someone said, Drew, there's a book in there. And I went, oh, okay. Uh, and that mm-hmm. ended up being the CMO's periodic table. And when I was done with that, that was 64 interviews sort of condensed into a periodic table to guide marketing. Uh, someone said, Drew, I can't get through all 64. Give me four traits of the most yeah. successful CEO. And as I looked at it, um, sort of framed it under courageous, artful, thoughtful, and scientific. And then as I was thinking about the second book, it really confirmed as I you know kept doing interviews and interviews, um, courageous strategy. It's like full stop. Either you have a courageous strategy or you're not going to be successful. And this is hard. 
Um, but it, it because it you know you have to you have to sort of step back and say do we are we really going to cut through the clutter or are we just going to be um, like everybody else and I'll give you quick stats that inspired the book we did some research among CMOs 113 and both in 2019 and 2020 and we asked so. Is your product or service different from your competition? And over 60% said, yeah, it is. And then we say, well, is your marketing different uh, or unique from your competition? Yeah. And only 40% said, and I said, okay, we have a problem. Big time. Big time problem. Uh, and so it takes a certain amount of courage to commit to a strategy, um, to not only get to a strategy that differentiates your brand. And I sort of let CMOs off the hook in the book. I say, you know what? I'd rather you be unique, but if you can't get to unique, at least go for distinctive. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, but that's that's a lot. If you and and again, if you go to most B two B websites, you could just take one brand and put it on and and take it and put it on another brand. They use the same colors. They use the same language. Hey, we deliver value. Yay! <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and so, it's just. The, the strategy, and then in the book, I break it down into three components. And let's see what uh, clear away the clutter, dare to be distinct, and uh, and pounce on your yeah. And and so those three things sort of make up. But the first one is you just got to recognize that if you don't, you know, never keep your resume too far from what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, you'll go out of business real quick. I I love bringing like courage, bringing bravery, you know standing out want because it's so you your marketing needs to stand out your brand needs to stand out your experience needs to stand out therefore that should start within within strategy so the question i'll call it at the when you when marketers are getting together at you know, cmo team c-suite etc as a company a great thought starting question for strategy is how are we going to be courageous in in this plan potentially yeah. So Drew, how, how do you get those conversations of of courage going? Well, it, it this is part of the this is actually part of the artfulness of the yeah. is that you have to recognize that everybody thinks they're a marketer. Less than twenty percent of CEOs spend any time in their career in marketing, yet they think they know marketing. And so you really have to be artful in the way you involve the organization because you want everybody's input, but you can't have everybody's output. Can you give me that stat one more time? Which one? About the percent who actually were in marketing. Yeah, less than 20% of CEOs. Have I, love, I think you also said this too, but everybody thinks they can do better marketing than you. They all have the opinions. Yeah. Right? It's... Uh, it's and I I'm a little flippant in the intro of the book because I say it's like everybody thinks they're a marketer because they watch the Super Bowl. It, it's <laughs> right. sort of you know it's sort of like saying hey I, I want to be the CFO because I balance my checkbook. Right. Um, it's it's lunacy, particularly in B two B today where there is just tremendous sophistication. Um, in the go to market motions and you know people talking about double funnels and. And marketing doesn't stop the way it used to, it, yeah. and it goes all the way through. And you know, we had a super huddle this this week where we talked about sales, uh, the the CRO CMO relationship, and you know, we were spending time as marketers thinking about how do we improve the close and win rate for sales. Yeah, that conversation didn't happen ten years ago, but it's happening now because everybody yeah. realizes that. 
Yeah, marketing doesn't stop with the lead. We're on the same team. Like the, it, it's like um, I don't know. I played ice hockey as a child, but and I love Sidney Crosby at uh, for the Pittsburgh Penguins. But the first thing or the second thing they say after somebody scored a goal is who got the assist. You know, it's you, you don't have um, leaders. You know, saying you know I I need more assists. The team needs to be saying we just we need more goals. All eyes are on, you know, crossing the threshold of that net. That's really where the focal point needs to be put on. That's uniting for a team. In the in the and it's funny. I'll go back into the book. There are a couple of times where I interviewed CMOs, and both both of them admitted uh, that very early on in their stay, they thought they had the idea, and they rushed to sort of sell it to the executive committee. But they hadn't done the foundational work beforehand. And they just got they got killed. Yeah, uh, I call that I call it walking into a a, a chainsaw. <laughs> yeah, and, and the, you know, there's this. It's the part of this is recognizing that you know where you want to go. You want to get to a distinct or unique position for your brand, but you're not going to get there going charging in saying I'm the hero. I got this done. You're going to do that by bringing the organization along with you. And, and that's hard. That's why I talk about artful ideation and uh -huh. helping them see. And then I tell stories of how uh, CMOs rebranded their company and worked with an outside firm. And the outside firm said, guys, this idea is going to scare you. Uh -huh. And I, and I want to emphasize this for a second, because a lot of times people think about marketing as, and particularly branding as a new logo, a new color. And to me, what makes marketing exciting is when it transforms the way an organization does everything that they do. And so to me, when you really reposition a company, you have to retrain the company as well. And in that process of retraining, you've sort of reshaped everything, your whole go-to-market. And I tell an example in the book uh, it, it, with, uh, with Aetna, with their promise of you uh, their, their, their tagline was, um, you don't join us, we join you. And they spent six months retraining customer service agents in order to deliver that promise. And so, yeah. you know, this is my challenge to marketers all the time. And then we found this out in our research too. Marketers tend to under time the amount of time they spend launching internally. And it's mm -hmm. such a, because then you're just, you're admitting that marketing is superficial. Yeah. It, I, I call it inside out marketing. And we, we need to launch to ourselves before we launch to the market. Love it. It's that idea of you ha uh, the brand promise delivered, right? We have the brand promise. It's the words. It's the, you know, the early days. It's the, um, it, it's what we, pr what we say we're going to do, but then it's actually in the product, in the service, in the endpoint, in the experience. Did we actually deliver on what we were going to say? Did we fulfill that promise? That's what we have to, as marketers, be willing to invest in and then internally educate, internally enable. So once that hits the market, because customers, prospects even, they don't see your touch points. They see your brand in its entirety. So not going to see one touch point. It's, it's the whole experience. Yeah. And they feel it. And they know also when it's not there. 
you know, when it's just words on a page and <laughs> I tell expectations. Yeah. Uh, and it's such an important thing. And in the book, I give an example. So probably the best tagline I ever wrote was for family circle. And it was, um, where family comes first, but I, and at that time, this is before Simon Sinek and start with why we said, you know, this is kind of a big idea. You could actually be the family first magazine. You could orchestrate, do family first research. What does family mean? You could do family symposiums. You could move the chapter in your book called in the, in the magazine called family to the first one. Yeah. <laughs> Right. All these ways of executing against this idea. They said, thanks. It's a great line. We're going to put it on the spine of the magazine. And it sat there for 19 years. But that was it. So in that, I love that idea of artful ideation, because that is there. We get to it, the science here and the scientific method. I love that. But then there's this art. It's needs to be very well orchestrated. So you've got these concepts around welcome we. Uh, perfect pithy. I love that word. Just nice, short, crisp, and uh, delight by design. Unpack a couple of those for me. What are some examples? Welcome sure. we, How should we internalize that as marketing? Right. So welcome we starts with, and we put it in the book. Uh, I mean, I think the first thing a CMO should do when they get to their organization is do an employee survey. And you know, there we list the the questions that you should ask. We have standardized data on this, but you know, one question, great question, is: Are you proud to work at this company? That's sort of a really interesting metric. Um, we ask for the sort of four words to describe the organization and some other measures, and then we also ask them, what do they think of the marketing? What is their, you know, what do they do? They believe, and you oh, know, wow. you get, and so by doing that, you've already said, I care about you. I care about your opinion. And that's such a great place to start. So Welcoming We is really about gathering information from as broad uh, a footprint as you can within the organization. Um, Perfect Pithy is about getting your, your promise, your story down to eight words or less. So and hard to do. It's really hard <laughs> to do, which is why you know somebody asked me the other day, how do we do that? We'll hire a firm because you know what? This is one area where experience and having done it before and knowing how to assess these and, and create these really matters because it's not yeah. just getting to the words, then it's getting to the the knowing that you could execute against those words um, and, and make them real. So that it's really hard, but it's worth it. And I got to tell you, I, I'm always amazed when I ask CMOs, so can you, and I do it on my podcast, is can you describe your organization in eight words or less? Less than half. Less than half can do it. Mouthful of marbles, I would say. And that, you know, it's like, uh, this, that, and then you, it, it is very impossible to do unless it's very deliberate. Right. To go through that process. Yeah. And then the last thing uh, when I when I talk about is uh, what was that? Uh, perfect. perfect. Yeah. Uh, oh, delight by, oh, by design. So here's the thing that I think is the most important thing. So we're not just talking about words and pictures. What your design, your user experience on your website is like a clear indication of whether or not your product is easy to use or hard to use, <laughs> period. Yeah. You have bad UX, you probably have bad UX in your product and because yeah. you don't consider design important enough to put it, have, have them at a seat at the table at a very senior level. And you can really see it in organizations that um, have a really good user experience. There's usually a senior UX person and a designer way early as an employee. 
otherwise the in, engineers are running and you can see that and you know I'm sorry, I, I love engineers and so forth, but design matters. And so, and it's a way of delighting and, and it communicates volumes. You mm -hmm. just, and you only notice it when it's bad. <laughs> yeah, there's that idea. So I love what you're saying, like UX, the world can see your user experience without even using your product. They can see it on your website. They can see it in your marketing. They can see it. So I love how you're saying that user experience transcends from the product into every possible touch point. And so as marketers, we need to be thinking about that total UX uh, perception of the brand. And the user experience is also in its support structures, in its maybe your customer service department. User experience is also in the help you offer. User experience is in resources. And I, I think you've just like, that's an amazing cheat code right there for marketers to be thinking about. User experience transcends not just the features, functions, button clicks and click streams. If it's, you know, in my case, it's technology, but it's the entire, it's like the Uber. Well, UX. think about it this way. And I, and I completely agree with you that it, this is so important. How many companies promise, hey, our product is really easy to use? You know, Everybody. you're going to, it's going to go out of business, right? Yeah. It's it, a lot of people say it's really easy to use. And then I say, okay, so let's go to your website. How many clicks does it take for me to get the information I'm really looking for? Yeah. Seven. yeah. <laughs> Is that easy to use? If I want to talk to a human, how do I do that? Is that easy to find? Uh, you know, there's just so many ways that we make it a lot harder and we communicate a lot more through our design, particularly our bad design that people realize. Delight by design. I love that. Let's, uh, this next one, thoughtful execution. I think that um, a, lo a lot of marketers, I mean, we can risk. I, I would love to know how you got to that. Hmm. But we risk, hey, we need to execute. We need to go, go, go. But if we're not continuously in on what's going on, we're not thinking through, you know, positive outcomes, negative outcomes, having your data, not, we're not waiting for too much data. What is the, uh, um, uh, the Powell principle of, uh, like the, the 40, 60 rule of never make decisions before you have 40% of the data, never wait till you have, um, you know, too much data. You just, you're slow to get out there. So thoughtful execution, what does thoughtful execution mean? How do we need to execute on it as CMS? Well, so it, this comes back to is sort of one of the epiphanies in like late uh, 2008, 2007, where just thinking about everything that we were doing that was working and why it was working. And I came across this uh, line from Ben Franklin, which is well done is better than well said. And as much as I, I as a writer, I love yeah. getting the phrases right and getting those uh, purpose-driven story statements. Ultimately, successful marketing is designed by what you do for your customers, employees, customers, and prospects in that order. And the thoughtful part of it is, this is not just a, a belief that I have that marketing can be a force of good, but marketing can be helpful, useful. We live in the give to get economy. You want my time and attention, you better give me something of value. It's a value exchange. That's not a new idea. No. But if you think about how much energy is put into 
optimizing a click on a digital ad across a wide range of things, none of which are thoughtful at all, none of which add value to the conversation. And uh, so, but if you put yourself and say, start with employees and say, what can I do for my employees right mm-hmm. now that would make them have a little more pride in the company that we do that would make it easier for them to tell the brand story? What can I do for our customers right now? And by the way, this was one of the early lessons of, of uh, 2020 was, and this came right through huddles in the first month. Every single CMO that I was talking to was calling all their customers and saying, hey, what are you okay? What can we do for you? And that moment of crisis across uh, uh, corporate America, those companies that stepped up and said, hey, you know what? If you're having a cash flow problem, we'll help you. You're having a, you know, you're not using our product as well as you could, we'll help you. And so this part of, of thoughtful says, we're going to start with our employees, we're going to then go to our customers, and then we're going to figure out how do we sell through service? What can we do that will be helpful? Not sell. What, what will be helpful that will make your job easier or you more successful or your company more successful? Again, not out new ideas, but in the book, they're organized in a relatively simple way with lots of proof of, of how you do it and why and how to measure it and why it works. Absolutely. I mean, we've moved away from this interruption to this permission. And I think that's thought, thoughtful execution is an amazing cheat code to get to allowing customers, new customers, prospects to, to give you permission. What better way to do that than through offering help, offering uh, innovation through service? I love that. Um, and it's, it's like an inside out uh, perspective as well, you know, involving your employees. Now, the, what I like is um, how you've then put in this science piece. So the scientific method, I love this. I actually use a lot of uh, your methodologies here and ensure you, know, you have a certain percentage you, you recommend. I've got a certain percentage I recommend uh, of experimentation uh, and uh, love the scientific method, you know, creating a hypothesis, et cetera. Um, keeping controls, you know, in place, understanding what did what, that constant like learning process. That's something I I like to embody and still and, and think is massively required. Uh, your scientific method uh, in marketing: uh, measure what matters, automate attentively, and test to triumph. Unpack that for me. I love this. Sure. So um, the first part of, let's see, we've got measure what matters. You know, I've already referenced the fact that so much of what CMOs have to do today in B2B level is about demand gen. And and I get it. And, you know, 80% of their budgets go to demand gen. But if you look at revenue and revenue growth, about half of that typically comes from existing customers. So already we have an imbalance of where we're spending our money. But I also just feel that you're limiting the way, and I know you're limiting the, the perspective, the power of marketing. So if you can, and in the book, we offer sort of eight, kind of four buckets of metrics, and then eight sort of areas to look at. And one is employees, and you can do a very simple uh, net promoter score for employees. It's called ENPS or some equivalent, and I suggest some equivalents. Um, obviously customers. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of, of NPS. I've, I think there's some other ways that are better at showing. And I talk about those better showing what real, uh, employee satisfaction looks like it's behavior, 
right? Do they refer? Do they upgrade? Do they show up in case studies? All those things. Then we can measure demand. Of course, you got to. I get it. And then we need to have brand metrics. We absolutely have to have those as distinct metrics. Uh, so those are sort of the first part of it. And all I'm saying is, yeah, you may be measuring demand, but that's one quarter of the metrics that you need. And yeah. measuring brand is not as hard as you think. And I offer all sorts of surrogate measures that aren't expensive. Okay. So then the next part, and this is a pet peeve, uh, I've noticed, and this is, you know, the reason I wrote the book is B2B marketing has gotten ridiculously complicated, but not more effective. And one of the reasons it's gotten more complicated is all this wonderful technology that's out there. And so in interviewing these CMOs, we sort of learned the average tech stacks, 25 different technologies. When you ask them how many you really value, it's probably about 10. You know, is the, the yes. budgets are creeping past 10% uh, for technology. I'm thinking, really? That means that every dollar you put in technology, because technology is not marketing, it's just technology, That's uh, right. means it's, it's, you're not creating uh, an impression, you're not creating content. So really make sure and encourage everybody to do an audit of their technology. And the biggest problem is there's rarely enough staff to take advantage of the tech that you have. So that's where you got to look at the imbalance. Okay. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of consumption gap in there in terms of what you have licensed, what's in it versus what you actually use. It's like right. your your iPhone. Who knows how many possible features? We probably use five percent of the five to ten percent of the actual features available on it. It's true. Yeah, the twenty eighty rule, eighty twenty rule applies to that and in your house. So it, once you've done that. And, and by the way, so if I step back and say, you've got a courageous strategy, that's awesome. That's you, you, the CMO. Artful is getting the rest of the organization along with you. Thoughtful is just thinking about your execution as value add, not messaging. All of that is wonderful, but you fail if you don't have the metrics in place. So we're going to have the right metrics. We're going to think about marketing a little bit broader because, God, we can make such a difference when we do. And then the last chapter is really meant to remind us all how wonderful marketing is because you can experiment all the time. As long as you have at least 10% of your budget, if not 20% of your budget, set up for experimentation. Imagine if not only you ask your employees in your group, your marketing team, but across the organization to participate in this experiment how much fun that is. Everybody likes the idea of being part of marketing. They want to, they know that's more fun than most of the other stuff. So building that culture of experimentation is such a great opportunity for, for CMOs. And, you know, I, I mentioned uh, uh, Jeff Perkins, who was a CMO who became a CEO. It's a rare thing. And he, and he built this culture of experimentation at Park Mobile and they made him CEO. Wow, that's all. I mean, I'm lucky. My CEO is uh, was a marketer as well. That as as a marketer, it, it really it's it's a game changer. And uh, so I love this. I think you've got a stellar. It's a four part cheat code here. I think is um, it's really uh, it's a framework for CMOS for marketers to be a renegade. <laughs> love that. <laughs> I think it gives confidence. I love that because you go forward, you've got your follow this framework, get your your strategy in order. You have the confidence. You've got the you're measuring what matters. You've got your KPIs, leading indicators, diagnostic metrics. You now stand out, you shine your 
an outlaw and uh, with good purpose. I love that. Uh, Drew, we got through this conversation and I didn't ask you, this is cheat codes. I always ask everybody, since it's cheat codes, video game experience. We, we <laughs> like to talk about cheat codes as like, in gaming is like this, there's this idea of a, the core loop that sure. brings you coming back to the game, back to the game, back to the game. We try to do that as marketers. What do you have in terms of uh, video game stories or experience that you could share with us? Well, being the renegades that we were in the uh, in the early '90s when uh, and Panasonic was our client, they launched this uh, uh, ill-fated platform called 3DO. And believe it or not, my team we produced two video games for the 3DO platform. Uh, one was a port of a game called Icebreaker, and yeah. another was called Carrier Fortress of Sea. We took a show from the Discovery Channel and turned it into this game that was on. Uh, 3DO platform, and it ended up on a PC platform. And I actually was at the first E3 in in 1995. Oh, that's and, wild! And yeah. so, you know, we literally we and the icebreaker had these triangles in it. So we had people in triangle costumes handing out these little triangle shaped erasers with the icebreaker logo. Anyway, so we had some we had some chicos and ferry uh, carrier fortress at sea because one of the things that you had to do was land a you know 25 million dollar plane onto a runway and uh, uh, onto the carrier and if you crashed you know you would it, it said something like you just wasted a perfectly good 25 million dollar airplane <laughs> wow so anyway so uh, there were some little there were some little easter eggs in both of those uh both of those games, but, uh, you know, that was a long time ago. <laughs> that is super cool. Uh, Drew, you're not hard to find on the internet, but for folks, if they want to get in touch with you, what are some of your, your key places where they can find you? Yeah. So, uh, renegade.com, you can find everything about, uh, the book, or you can find the book on, on Amazon and all on different platforms. Uh, my, uh, social channel of preference is LinkedIn. You can find me Drew Neiser, N-E-I-S-S-E-R at LinkedIn. Any of the folks listening to the show who want a chapter from the book, just hit me up on LinkedIn said you enjoy the show and which chapter you want. Uh, and I'm happy to send that to you. Sweet. We'll put some links in the show notes. Cats love it. Drew, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Ed, thank you for, for doing this show. I, I think it's great. And, you know, we, we all need some uh, cheat codes. Absolutely. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today for another episode of Marketing Cheat Codes. I want to thank our guests for their time and everyone out there in a primo land for listening. This episode was written, mixed, and produced by Glenn McManus. Our associate producer is Noah Horberg. Our production coordinator is Izzy Herbst. And our creative director is Sonny Okamoto. Our series is hosted by Ed Briald. And I'm your co-host, Sam Chapman. If you like what you're hearing, please rate us or review us everywhere you listen to podcasts. And be sure to keep the conversation going by following us on LinkedIn and Twitter. If you have a topic you'd like to hear us discuss or want to be a guest, head on over to the URL in the episode description and drop us a line. Until next time, thanks for listening.